Welcome to the Realtors Land Institute podcast, the voices of land, the industry's leading land real estate organization. Hello, everyone. This is Justin Osborne, accredited land consultant with the Wells Group Real Estate Brokerage in Colorado and New Mexico. Today joining us is Butch Armistead. Butch is an accredited land consultant and an associate broker with Murray Company Realtors. He's also an instructor with RLI, and today we're going to be talking about transitional land and real estate site selection. Butch, thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. I very much appreciate the opportunity to speak today. Thank you. How long have you been doing this, Butch? Well, that's a good question. I got my license uh, early 2000s, so I would say about 18 years. Uh, I bought my first rental house in 1978, uh, bought two houses. One was a duplex, one was a single-family residence. And uh, my my dad had rental property growing up, so it's just it's always been in my blood. It's something I always liked. And uh, we had a small farm, and I've just always have been uh, fascinated by owning land. And uh, I enjoy it very much. So it, it's been in my blood, you know, literally all my life. Well, for the new agents we have with us that may not be quite familiar with what transitional land is, um, how would you describe even what transitional land is? Well, that, that's a good question. I grew up uh, about 60, 65 miles south of Atlanta, and we were growing up, we were in very much a an agricultural society down here and in the smaller towns you primarily had textile mills or manufacturing facilities and uh, that's just pretty much the way it was the first 20-25 years of my life and all of a sudden all these large tracts that people are planting corn, soybeans, running cows, hog operations as the population increased in, in the city of Atlanta what really pushed uh, the population growth on the south side of Atlanta is the airport. And it, slowly but surely, all this large fi- farmland got converted into uh, residential housing, uh, residential subdivisions. And then subdivisions came in, and then a lot of the properties started being uh, uh, transitioning over into commercial real estate or institutional properties, hospitals, uh uh, additional manufacturing facilities, and so it's just kind of evolved in my life, and uh, that's kind of where we are, and that's kind of how I got interested in it, and uh, it, it's been a great ride. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Well, that sounds like you definitely had some experience. How would you describe kind of the steps in valuing transitional land? I would imagine that that farm ground uh, kind of out in the outskirts is a different price per acre, or maybe we even start talking price per square foot if we start getting close to town. But talk with our listeners about kind of the process involved in that, if you would, please. Well, you know, that's a good question. That's a very, uh, that's a very vague question at the same time. You know, in our in our area down here, in these larger tracts of land that are really good farmland, and let me just back up just a minute, because that's a really good question. But let me preface that. You know, in the South, you need to understand the one product we really grew and really drove our market up to about 1950 was cotton. And we grew cotton, and uh, I've always tell people we grew cotton, and we went broke growing cotton, then we went broker growing more cotton. So at that time, the federal government came in and said, listen, if you'll quit growing cotton and growing 
pine trees, convert these cotton fields into pine trees or timber, we will pay you a per, per acre price to grow trees. And so that evolved up to about the early 70s, and we saw a lot of that cotton fields get converted into timber, as well as uh, corn, soybeans, and especially cattle. But as we grew on and we kept moving forward and the population's growing, uh, that's a good point you just made. We were seeing land back in the 70s. You could probably buy all you wanted down here for about $500 an acre. But as you convert and you transition into real estate subdivisions, uh, you've got property selling from 1000 uh at the time in the 70s to maybe $1,500 an acre. All of a sudden, you move on up to this day and time, and that same land that was 1000 let's say 500 1000 1500 an acre, all of a sudden it's now 4000 an acre. And if you convert into a subdivision, you go through the rezoning process, you have the surveyors involved and the whole ball of wax, all of a sudden you're looking for a two-acre lot that's going to be worth anywhere from 25000 to 30000 So you've got a piece of property that went from 4000 an acre up to about 15000 an acre, or probably a little bit more. And as the economy continues to grow down here, and as more people get confidence in the economy, then you'll continue to see that price increase on a per acre basis. And that's just for a residential subdivision. We're not talking about, uh, you know, a Dollar General location or a Waffle House or those type commercial uh, O'Reilly's Auto Parts. That gets up, you know, 75, 100,000, 150,000 an acre in price. Sure. Yeah, definitely. It's kind of kind of crazy when you think about, you know, the value of uh, the pie, and then you start kind of cutting it up and how expensive just some of those individual pieces can be, depending on, you know, if it is residential or commercial or multifamily use. You're exactly right. Totally agree with you. Butch, what can you comment on regarding the logistics involved with supply chain? Well, what we're seeing uh, in, in our area, as well as the United States, you know, as you probably know, and most people do know this, there are four main industries that drive our market. And it's fishing, farming, mining, and manufacturing. In the South, what really has driven our market is, is farming and manufacturing. And that is starting to change. And again, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago where we get up and uh, our lifestyles are changing, the way we educate our kids are changing. Uh, but what's most important right now in our area, again, with the Internet, Amazon, all this is changing, is supply chain logistics. And the, the reason this is so important in this area, it's what's really driving uh, the market in the United States right now is uh, – how we do business with the Far East. And what we're seeing uh, here locally in the state of Georgia is what's going on at the Port of Savannah. Now, we live uh, probably uh, 120 miles from the Port of Savannah. People say, well, how in the world can that be changing your market? Well, what's happening is we opened and deepened and we widened the, uh, the Panama Canal. So these ships coming in uh, from the Far East, they used to have to come into Long Beach, California, Seattle, uh, the product would be put on a truck or on rail. It'd be shipped east of the Mississippi for uh, for distribution. And now with the port of uh, Savannah, they can ship 
primarily through the Panama Canal. They're using the Suez Canal, too. They can go through the Mediterranean. They can go through uh, Gibraltar and come on in to the East Coast. And I think we all realize that probably 70-plus 70, 70 percent of the people in the United States live east of the Mississippi. So this is really a huge cost savings for these guys that are exporting product out of the Far East into the United States. And it's changed our world incredibly. Uh, in the last two years, we've had over $200 million worth of investment made in just this local market by Koreans and Japanese companies for the simple reason they can manufacture a product in Griffin, Georgia. They can ship it to the port in Savannah, and they can handle all their customers in South America as well as Europe out of this area right here. Why Griffin, Georgia? We're 45 minutes from the world's largest airport, the busiest airport. They can fly directly from Tokyo, directly into Atlanta. 45 minutes, they're at their plant in Griffin, Georgia. So we're seeing that type of supply chain logistics radically change the way we do business, the way we see our populations changing, uh, the whole caboodle. So it's fascinating to watch this. And you're going to see this grow more and more every day. And when you're looking at the Panama Canal, uh, what's really changing is changing our world in Mobile, Orlando, Miami, Jacksonville, Savannah, uh, Charleston, all up and down the East Coast because they can ship directly from China through the Panama Canal into the East Coast or then come in through the Suez Canal and ship directly through the Mediterranean into the East Coast. And this is where the market is. Seventy percent of the people live east of the Mississippi River. And it's, it's huge. Now, in your in your transitional land class that you're teaching, are you actually working with the students on uh, highest and best use, figuring out uh, how to represent their clients the best way if they're a listing agent on taking the process through the planning uh, process, or is it just okay? Here, here's what the planning department says we can do, and we're going to sell it as is and let the next buyer deal with it. No, as a rule, we go in, and our, it is our hope and our dream to make everybody feel comfortable through the whole process from making that uh, first application at the zoning office to have it rezoned and go all the way through the process, go through the uh, planning commission, the zoning meetings, uh, the final county commissioner meetings, and make everybody just feel very comfortable, and most importantly, uh, give them an education and make, let them understand uh, and to be able to be, you know, really communicate with the developers, the lenders, the government officials. And uh, it, it can be time-consuming. I'll be straight up with you, but it's well worth it. And let's keep in mind, too, a lot of the folks that take this course, they will more than likely uh, not have a direct interest in a, watching a piece of property uh, go to the end product. They'll probably be involved when actually selling the 100- or 200-acre tract to a developer. But if you're the listing agent, you're going to have to walk that through the process, and it's just really important to understand the definitions of what the developer is talking about, what the uh, county commissioner, what the zoning official says, uh, what your lender is talking about. It's just simple things that you really take for granted in a lot of the instances, like uh, uh, I'm just saying the setbacks. And well, what are setbacks? What's the definition of a setback? Well, a setback is very different in a residential subdivision if it's zoned R1, R2, R3, R4, as well as a commercial development. So you really need to have a good concept and a good grasp 
what a setback is. Same thing, and we see this a lot. Uh, we see it a lot in commercial development, especially um, the, the manufacturing development. But, you know, what is a boring test? We see that as well as uh, single-family residential subdivisions where they'll come in and say, well, we want to do a boring test. It's going to take about two weeks to do this. Well, exactly what's a boring test? Well, they're going to bring in a machine they're going to go into the ground from 6 to 12 feet down. They want to see what's down there. They want to see if it's rocking there, uh, underground streams, underground water. And you can do these soil tests, and these soil tests are really good, but they really want to get on down to the ground and see what's there and make sure it's going to be a very stable property because when they start building, uh, they can't afford to stop. So they want to go in. They want to make sure they're going to have a very solid foundation. And, you know, it, it goes on and on from there from uh, – especially when you get into uh, uh, residential subdivisions, uh, R1, R2, R3, R4, because uh, so many agents that stay in town, they come in and say, oh, it's zone commercial. Well, what commercial? Is it C1? Is it C2? Is it C3? What can you do? What you cannot do with it? And so it's just really important to understand there is a difference in every county, every state. They tweak those laws just a little bit differently. So you just need to be aware of what's going on and uh, be able to talk to your lenders, your, uh, you know, the agents, the developers, especially the zoning office, and have a concept of, of what's going on. And are you seeing that the, the sellers are the ones that are fitting the bill for uh, these, like a, like a boring test, so that they can actually see what's underneath the land and use that? Uh, the listing agent can use that in their marketing, or is the buyer doing that during their due diligence period? And in 90% of the time, uh, the buyer is doing this during the due diligence period. Yeah. Okay. That's exactly right. Now, in Colorado, Butch, we can take... I can, I can have a client with a 70-acre piece of land, get the surveyor out there, cut it up into two 35-acre parcels, get them recorded, and sell it within about 30 to 45 days. There's no county planning or regulations involved as long as it's 35 acres. Now, if it's 34.99, we got to go through the 9 to 12, realistically, probably 18-month process uh -huh. creating a subdivision. What, what do you see kind of in Georgia and in the South, is there certain regulations and stipulations where if it's a certain acreage, you don't have to get the planning involved? Well, that's a good point. And that goes back to one thing I like to, like a better word, I like to preach in this class. Every state's a little bit different. Every county's a little bit different. Uh, in the state of Georgia, primarily, you've got free reign as long as you've got proper road frontage and you if it's uh more than 10 acres now once you get under that 10 acre threshold then planning and zoning meeting as a rule will get involved it does not have to go through the full gamut of planning and zoning uh the the county commissioners but it'll have to go to the planning and zoning office and they can they can sign off on it but it you have to get involved and if you just have to go to the planning and zoning office and have them sign off on it you can get that done within a, a couple of three weeks Meeting those officials uh, in those offices, you know, it's it's good to have contacts. What would you say to the the listeners that maybe don't have the the contacts for the surveyor or the engineer or the the land planner? There's there's certainly a lot of importance with that. I would think. Well, it's everything in this business, and you hit the nail on the head one more time. I just want to make sure everybody understands this. The best thing you can do in this business is what I call 
fill up that truck with a tank of gas and you go out and start meeting people, the last thing you want to do is walk into a planning and zoning meeting or go to the planning and zoning office and not know anybody and not know the process or not know their personalities. The best thing you can do is go out and meet your planning and zoning officials, uh, go to the planning and zoning meetings, go to the county commissioner meetings, get involved in your community. Uh, and, you know, I tell people also, and this is very important, when you go to these planning and zoning meetings, when you go to the county commissioner meetings, you get an opportunity to speak. That really brings you more business. Uh, people really take note. And one problem with our business is, and you talk to a lot of sellers, you talk to a lot of buyers, they like to go to the where everybody has breakfast and get all the latest and greatest gossip and the information. Well, that's all well and good. But if you really want to get the latest and greatest news of what's going on and what's happening and how it's going to change your life or affect your life, good or bad, start getting involved on the county level and on the city level. Start going to your planning and zoning meetings. Go to your county commissioner meetings. It makes all the difference in the world. And uh, it's like I say, you really need to get educated and start going to those meetings to kind of get an idea of how it starts. Go by your planning and zoning office and get a copy of an application and just see what is involved in filling that application out. Just things of that nature makes all the difference in the world. And surveyors, uh, your land use planners, uh, they're easy to get to know. They're good people. And one thing that's very important, uh, especially where I, uh, I work, uh, when you go into a project, whether it be a little 10-acre project or a commercial project, your surveyors, your engineers, the developer, uh, you working with the county officials, city officials, it's just one big team going forward. It's not you just out there facing the world. You've got a team beside you. And one of the best things you can do is just stay in communication with everybody. And any roadblocks you might hit, you can usually get it solved before it goes on down the road. But communication is the key to this business. Getting involved in the city county level is everything. Highly recommend it. Great advice. I totally agree. Uh, Butch, is the the real estate site selection course is that different than the transitional land real estate course, or are those one and the same? Well, it's a very different course, and you know it's pretty neat what's going on in site selection. Uh, one thing I really like to push out on site selection, and I'm a real big believer in this, uh, right now we're living in a very fluid society. What I mean by that, <clears throat> the way we educate our kids, what we eat, how we eat, how we entertain ourselves, it's changing, and it's changing rapidly every day, and it really has a big difference. It makes a real impact on how we live and how we pick out where we want to live in our homes, and, and one of the big drivers what you're talking about in this is the internet and when you get into site selection uh we're going through what i call and what the news media calls is a retail apocalypse uh we're seeing retail closing left and right and it's staggering what's going on yet at the same time you see these dollar general stores they're planning to open over 900 stores this year in the united states so they're just exploding in growth yet some of the larger, well-established, the Macy's type, uh, Pier 1 Imports, they're all closing. And why? Amazon, Alibaba, those guys are just dominating, are starting to dominate the retail market. But what did that do for us as real estate agents and real estate brokers? That brings us opportunity. 
because what we're really seeing, and we talk about this a pretty good bit in site selection, what we're seeing is a uh, these buildings that are sitting there empty, they're being repurposed. And you get a large shopping mall, they're converting them into condominiums, apartments, uh, what I call large playgrounds. Uh, some of the larger churches in the southeast, we're starting to see those churches because times are changing. And again, we're in a very fluid society. Those churches are being repurposed into apartments, condominiums. Uh, what we used to see are we call the Sunday school uh, building. Now they're uh, condominiums for offices. So we're changing, and it's changing quickly, and it's changing rapidly. And we just need to be very aware of things like that are going on, so we can not be in a situation where we react, but we have to act. And we just need to have that knowledge, and we really need to be paying attention to those type trends that are happening. No, that, that's great education. I love learning new stuff myself. I mean, I didn't have a clue that they're doing that just because where I'm at, you know, we, we haven't seen that yet. We've certainly seen the brick and mortar buildings going out and, you know, the local hardware store maybe maybe gets taken over by Home Depot and that type of stuff. But I have not right. seen these these big malls or churches or big retail facilities turning into condos. And that's just it's exciting to see that people are figuring out, you know, the highest and best use has certainly changed. And I think it's really important for our listeners to realize that what used to be the highest and best use for a certain property may not be that same use today. Well, you agree. And at the same time, that brings incredible opportunity to our industry and to be able to have to figure that out and take a look and, again, do, do not react, but act. Now, the, the classes that you're teaching, are you doing webinars on those also, Bruce, where the people come in and watch online? They don't have to actually have a, an in-classroom setting? Well, that's exactly right. Uh, webinars are probably 50% of what I do. And, uh, yeah, I enjoy it very much. And uh, it, it's a lot of fun. And I tell you what, the great thing about being an instructor for RLI, number one, is RLI has really made a major capital investment on these courses. And they really have done wonders with them. And uh, they're, they're good. They're excellent. At the same time, uh, it's a lot of fun to be live in the classroom. So it's, it's the ultimate mixed emotion. Yeah, you can take the webinar, or I'll be more than happy to come out live. It, it's just a, it's a great experience. I've enjoyed every bit of it. Every minute, I can promise you that. Well, for those that want to do take the in-classroom setting, uh, we've got the Land U option coming to Arkansas at the end of May, last weekend of May, going through the first week of June. And our listeners can certainly come and get educated on transitional land and real estate site selection at that offering. Uh, Bruce, are you part of a local chapter where you're at? Yes, uh, I was the past president. Uh, I was last year's president of the uh, George chapter, and uh, that's, it has been a great year. And again, the state of Georgia, we're really in a transitional uh, area, especially where I work. You can get on into South Georgia, and you've got these true ag uh, agents that do just a great job on the large tracks, the true what you consider farmers. Uh, you know, they're growing anything from carrots, cucumbers, corn, beans, soybeans, uh, to where we get in our area, really uh, within 90 miles of Atlanta, then you really get into a lot of transitional properties and what's going on. So, 
in, anybody that's listening in that Georgia area, I would encourage them to uh, attend one of your your local chapter events. There's certainly a wealth of knowledge uh, that I walk away with every time I attend a chapter event in Colorado, and those are certainly open to other folks attending. It's not just for members. Uh, we welcome welcome members of the public, welcome visitors to attend and learn what we're doing at RLI. And I'm sure the same, same way at your chapter, Bruce, you guys probably have open arms just welcoming people, I would imagine. We do. and But what's exciting about our chapter is we've got these pure, true ag, ag agents in, in South Georgia. And then as you get into around Atlanta or the major metropolitan areas, you've got people like me that deal with a lot of uh, recreational land, and then you've got a lot of these agents, I'm sorry, we get into a lot of transitional land, then you get into North Georgia, or some of the country, and we've got a lot of agents that deal 90% of what they do is uh, recreational tracks. So it, it's just a it's just a great area to be in and do what we do every day. And, uh, enjoy it every day, I promise. We've been listening with Butch Armstead, accredited land consultant and associate broker with Murray Companies Realtors. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to RLI's The Voice of Land podcast today, sponsored by LandU Education Program.